Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to a new episode of Between the Lines of Stories Behind the Great Sports Writing. My name is Martin Gregg and we are joined today by my Backpage colleague Neil White and Mark Palmer who is translator of our best-selling Andrea Pirlo book, I Think, Therefore I Play, which will be the focus of today's episode. Just to give you a bit of background on the Andrea Pirlo book, this was published in April 2014. This has been our best-selling book by a distance. The reviews have been amazing and we wanted to give you a little flavour of who said what about the book. Um, this is from Matt Dick of the Times. Like its author, Andrea Pirlo is short, subtle and imaginative. Its football is art and philosophy rather than warfare. It is precisely the sort of memoir that we will not be reading from Jordan Henderson. And <laughs> um, This is from Gabriel Marcotti. He says, It shows the man under the beard, cool, bright, funny, outspoken. It all feels new and fresh, as if you've been introduced to a new character. He was there all along, of course, but it's only now that we're afforded a peak. And then finally, we'll end with 442, who just say it's an erotic novel for football fans. (laughs) Accurate. Accurate. Um, so, like, let's rewind to do a little bit of a kind of origin story of like where this book, where and when this book first came to our attention. My memory of it, Neil, is this was a tweet which just popped up one day while we were in the office. We saw that an Italian edition of the book had come out, and we immediately just jumped on it. So, for a lot of the books that we publish, it's kind of hard to pinpoint the the point of origin but for this one it is really easy there was a tweet I wish I could remember it or dig it out that we saw that, that flagged up that the book was out and I remember you saying that that would be a great book that would really work in English and then we sort of went on with our daily work and then at one point one of us said how did you know who's going to publish that it, it couldn't be us and then we did a bit more work and then we had a conversation that went well, why couldn't it be us? How do you go about that? You know, we hadn't acquired the English language rights to any book at this point, and we figured that it might be something as simple as an email to the Italian publishers, which is exactly what we did that lunchtime. Can you remember how long it took? You know, I think one of the competitive advantages we've got over bigger publishers is we can move quite fast. So I remember emailing um, the Italian publishers who were Mondadori and just requesting that uh, we get the manuscript. And the first thing they sent us was actually a batch of reviews um, from the Italian press, um, and then we subsequently sent the manuscript. At that point, we obviously turned to our uh, translator extraordinaire, Mark Palmer, who you're about to hear from in a second. 
Mark, I'm going to quote, quote you back at yourself. Uh, this yeah, is it. Never a pleasant experience. By this point, you'd read the manuscript and you sent this email to me on May the 6th, 2013. I've finished the book. It's a short read and not a classic autobiography and that there's not a massive amount about the early years. Don't think that's necessarily a bad thing, as the real meat is in his views on coaches and players he's worked with, Pep trying to sign him for Barca, etc. It's a good insight into life at the top of the European game and is written with a nice lightness of touch and humour. In terms of serialisation potential for a UK audience, there's some funny stuff in Gattuso being thick and also in how he almost chucked football completely after Milan lost it at Liverpool in Istanbul. Overall, I think it would potentially sit well with your kind of audience. Uh, I'll have a look at the reviews to see what the Italian media have made of it. So that was your email on I prefer my Dickinson's review, actually. <laughs> <laughs> but I think the point I was going to make is that, that you know, the tone of that is certainly positive, but I think there was a period after that where you digested the book a bit further, read the reviews, and then you came back with an even more glowing appraisal of what you'd read. Definitely. I mean, I think we all came at it from a point of um, probably initial scepticism that, you know, I, I'd interviewed him for the paper before. I think you guys had obviously seen him being interviewed, um, perhaps done it yourselves. And there was a feeling that he could be quite a sullen character, not particularly revelatory. Again, with these guys, you never know how many layers of the onion they'll be willing to peel back come, come book time, that there'll be more there to expose. And that there had to be more there to expose given, you know, everything that he'd done, been and seen, but was he going to be willing to do it in print? And, and he was. I mean, it was such a, uh, particularly on a second read, it was an incredible sort of experience to see uh, that sort of lightness of touch, the humour, the, the real personality come through that had never been before. He'd been this sort of, for always, a, a great sort of inventor on the pitch. He'd be very sort of metronomic in terms of the personality that he'd presented up to that point. And then suddenly you had all these anecdotes coming out, a, a real depth of character that we just hadn't seen before. Do you probably rewind a tiny tiny bit and just explain what makes you the man for the job. Martin and I were sports journalists in our previous life and both of us at different times worked with Mark uh, on the sports desk of the Sunday Times Scottish edition and Mark was um, had this extra sort of tool in his belt which was uh, his skill with the Italian language so whether it was a British club playing Italian opposition in the Champions League or the Six Nations Rugby going to Italy he would always be called into action whenever there was an Italian interview or story to be chased so it was our prior relationship with Mark and his obvious um, skill of Italian and his knowledge uh, of football it was um, all these things that made you the perfect kind of guy for the job even though you hadn't translated a book at that point. Yeah, absolutely. That, that was coming to that very cold. I mean, you know, you, you translate in, in the process of researching articles and general conversation, stuff that done at university, for example, but never to that length or, or that kind of text. So, yeah, it was a, a completely new experience you were offering me. It would probably be good to alight on the, the, the content at this point because you, you touched on it there and I think it was echoed in um, Mark Marcotti's quote there as well that this was a side of Pirlo that we'd never seen before but it was a side of almost autobiographies that we'd never seen before because it's it's really short I mean I was looking through it again this morning and some of the chapters are like three pages but they're just so rich in anecdote and the, the focus on them is so tight that 
it takes a while to get your head around almost, doesn't it? Because we're so used to, you know, you know, I grew up here, a formative years, and this is just nothing like this. No, there's a real pace to it, but also a real sort of not randomness because that, that would be to totally discredit the, the the structural soundness of it. But you know, it bounces from place to place, from person to person, with a real speed. But the energy of it carries you through, doesn't it? Um, and uh, as you see, underpinned by great insight and anecdotes as well. The lack of linear focus, like his willingness to bypass huge chunks of his mm. career if there's no story there and to boil down each chapter to here's another here's, here's another story yeah. here's another yeah. story I can tell you is um, is really refreshing and it has probably spoiled Martin and I ever since <laughs> when it comes to autobiographies we're always looking for something mm. different something that doesn't read like the sort of the straight and to be honest I think it's had that effect on the market in general yeah. on the you yeah. know autobiographies since then and this often gets paired with Zlatan doesn't it yeah so actually, I think it's quite a different book from Zlatan Zlatan's longer I think um, and it's more it's just more written up than, than Pirlo it's quite hard to explain Pirlo I think like I noticed that if you look at the top of the football charts just now it's like Peter Crouch has got like three titles at the top and I think that's more the kind of format of Pirlo where you, you have these really tight themed chapters um, which you know obviously Crouch is now spinning off his podcast and he'll do you know an episode in injuries an episode in penalties an episode in whatever uh, and, and that's almost like it because I mean you can through it and the, there, there's a short chapter on for example Pirlo and the rest of his teammates just taking the piss out of Reno Gattuso mm. um, which is like three or four pages uh, and it's hilarious there's a great chapter on how he perfected free kicks yeah, um, and you've got you know the chipping of Joe Hart in the uh, the game against England in Euro 2012 um, you've got the World Cup final you've got um, Istanbul you've got a chapter in Conte really really small chapters you know so in a way it has kind of almost redefined the genre yeah it's something that um, we've always looked for in books or that we always discuss as a book develops is what are people going to be interested in how can we well, in particular um, websites and, and newspapers what are they li- likely to pull out to publicise you know what stories can we kind of offer them and it was kind of like take your pick yeah. this pick yeah, yeah. I mean I think we both let up as soon as he mentioned the free kick chapter Mark yeah the Maladetta yeah it was fantastic wasn't it and the uh, Giannino Pernambucano features very heavily in there doesn't it as well in terms of the similarities and, and contrast him but, and the Juventus um, yeah, ground staff that's right yeah the, the technique just the sort of exploration of that is is something that people you know like us are, are very interested in and you don't tend to get that level of detail do you no you mentioned as well this, the, the previous perception of him as a sort of sullen mm. dear character I think it was a real the, the colour of his of his character that shone through we haven't really seen again since no no with the exception of a couple of sort of sardonic social videos that he made that almost play more on the sullenness yeah. than the storyteller you know that he emerges mm. as there's a lot of self-awareness there isn't there as well but the, a real joy as well you, you, you know find the joy that he takes in, in what he's done and, and what he's doing um, which had, as you say had never come through previously yeah Martin how bothered were you or otherwise about the England stories like how important do you think it was to have something that connected automatically with it was interesting going back to Mark's initial email where he said he was talking about serialisation potential and that was like a, that's always at the forefront of our minds about how can we place this within the British press and British media really the book transcended Joe Hart and, and the fact that there was a, an England connection this has become a massive global book I mean it's just it's, it's been translated in so many different languages and it's just a huge part of football culture now but having said that 
it was amazing to have that that Joe Hart stuff that was quite a memorable moment Italy really gave him a football lesson that day there's a fantastic highlights reel on YouTube where Pirlo it's all Pirlo's possessions from that game it's about 12 minutes and he just passes England England to death and then it's crowned by the the, the Panenka on, on Joe Hart which is just which is an iconic moment I think and the Liverpool chapter I don't think anybody really had ever considered Istanbul from the Milan right, perspective exactly yeah. in the UK up to, up to that point um, but you're right. I mean, those were selling points for us, really, more than because by the time it, by the time it came out, the book as a whole was so colourful and so well received that I think it became almost irrelevant that there were these obvious hooks. It just kind of made us feel better at the mm. time. Before we got on to the translation, I want to speak a little bit about uh, the ghostwriter Alessandro Alciato. He's such a massive part of the, the the process here. I don't know if you'd say this book's heavily ghosted. We, we, we went in the room with a pair of them and, and you don't see what comes out the other end, but there's a definite feeling that Al Chato is a prominent has a prominent role to play in this book. Uh, Mark, what would your take on it be? I mean you've you I think you've read the Ancelotti book that, that mm. Al Chato ghosted as well. Um, how do you see him fitting into the process? He's done obviously done a, a fantastic job, that's the first thing to say. But um, I think even in the, the end credits, he credits a, a, you know, a couple of um, Pulo's teammates, um, was Ambrosini and maybe a couple of others, with having given him a real insight into the real character. So I, I suspect, I haven't discussed this in detail with him, that he maybe approached it in the same way as us in terms of you know thinking, having a certain preconception about what character he would encounter, knowing all the great things he'd done but not knowing the person behind it. But he's, he made a big effort to go out and inform himself in advance with people who knew him better uh, as to, to, to what kind of character he was and then has allowed his own sort of creative skill to, to really bring that out in the in the process. What do you know about him, Alcato? Not much. Obviously, he was a Sky Italia guy. You know, you're obviously a guy that you would see on the scene, and you know, um, and has done great books. Knows is well known and well liked, well regarded. But it's not somebody that I had a, a personal relationship with beforehand. And do you see any consistency in style in the Italian between, for example, the Ancelotti book and? and it's not phrase like you can back that lightness of touch and again you know uh, Ancelotti that was probably a better known aspect of his personality as well that sort of sardonic style and you know there's a bit of humour there he's always had that so it was maybe easier to pull that out and it was more anticipated by the reader but there is that you know that, that is a common thread between them Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. I 
I want to talk a little bit about the me- mechanics of the translation, and I think uh, a nice way to do that is to, to quote uh, a very kind of prominent sports journalist in, in Scotland, uh, a guy called Hugh McDonald, and I heard him in a, another podcast talking about the translation of this book, and I'll just I'll quote exactly what he said. He says, Mark's translation of it is brilliant because you think you're reading it in Italian. It has that idiosyncratic Italian feel to it. So instead of smoothing it out and making it a very English book, he's made it a very Italian book, which is precisely what it needed. Does any of that resonate with what you were trying to achieve through the translation process? I'll say it does. It's a very, <laughs> a very, uh, yeah, a very pleasing summary to hear. Um, I think you know you're not translating just words. You're translating tone. You're translating character. You're taking all all these things. Uh, and you know, I certainly felt a big responsibility to do that, given what we've just talked about. That this was a completely different view of the individual coming through, a different side to his character. So how to convey that? You know, and you'd come up against some idiosyncratic phrases. Of course you did, but. My, my, I always erred on the side there of, of, of trying to sort of keep them Italianate, Italianised so as not to make it sound too, too anglicised really because that would have been to betray the voice. I mean when Mario and me are working on books like I'm always really grateful that any work that I do is going to go through Martin next before it gets you know close to the page and you know the, the same is true with the stuff that, that Martin does. I mean have you got anybody in that process who can check both the Italian and your work? That kind of safety net was probably not there, which you know I don't know if I was particularly honest with you guys about. But um, the uh, I, would, I should name check Andrea Del Monte, who is the, the, the original editor that worked with um, the Ghost on on the first version in Italian. I spent a, a rainy Sunday with him in uh, Reggio Emilia in central Italy, just going through. I went literally had a list of about five or six things from each chapter, words, people, because that's the other thing you don't necessarily know the backstory of all the individuals that Pulo is talking about. We, you know, we have that working knowledge of Italian football, but. Um, you know, there's people from his certainly his early days that you're thinking, well, who is this guy, and what's the kind of the common knowledge of him there that they've assumed that you know the British reader would need to know. And we made some some good and thorough use of footnotes, I think, didn't we, to, to pull out some of those more esoteric points that that, that would need a further explanation for the British audience. Um, but Andrea was a big help. Just you know, nine times out of ten, the kind of the meaning or the interpretation that I had, I had come to him with was pretty much there but he was able to add that little bit of nuance or little detail that really kind of helped nail nail the point I remember you being really buzzed coming back from mm, that trip because yeah. you'd managed to run all these queries past him and, and you got affirmation I guess it yeah, must have been that was exactly the word yeah yeah. 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 I see it, was, it was literally the course of one day in which then it all sort of crystallised and it felt like here we had a, a thing that was now kind of oven ready to use a, yeah. a common <laughs> modern expression oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> an oven ready pure <laughs> <laughs> when Martin read out that first email from you to us and we were talking about this before we came down here to meet you today I remember positivity no. but nothing that sounded like you guys have got something very very special on your hands it's kind of like I think your excitement the graph you know was steadily Absolutely. climbing upwards the, yeah. the longer you spent working on the text yeah and it went from that point of you know a general buzz from the first street to a real well, we've got something on our hands here in a second to as you're actually doing it and translating it and seeing how it can flow in English as well. So right. like this is this is actually excellent. So it was a definitely that, that incremental process. Yeah. So when you're reading it in Italian, that's you yeah, I, I can understand. You're in a that kind of different happen. headspace, aren't yeah, you? Sure. Yeah. Um, but then seeing it down on the page in English they well actually no, this isn't like anything I've read before. So, you know, even by, by point of difference it had that going for it. I think if we're following that graph to its conclusion then by the time we get to in and around publication, I think we were both like convinced of 
the merits of it and the, the marketability of it. Um, I remember going to Spain, I went to Madrid in March 2014, so maybe like a, a month before the book came out. And it was I was actually at a, the Spain Italy friendly match, which was Diego Costa's debut. I remember for Spain that night, and Pirlo was playing, and I was trying to catch up with Pirlo after the game in the mix zone, which turned into a bit of a, a debacle, to be honest. But I, I met Al Chato in the Vicente Calderon that night, and he was saying, "Oh, you know, how do you think the book's going to go?" And I was like, "I said to him, this is going to be massive, absolutely massive." And he was like, "He couldn't believe it. He kind of recoiled." And he's like, "Really? You know, Pirlo in, in the UK?" And um, I think by that point, I think the three of us had be con- been convinced of of uh, there's a great word you use, Neil, was like zeitgeisty. Um, do you want to kind of expand on why this book captured the zeitgeist in that way? Mm. I mean, the timing of it. If, if you now graphed his career and the way that he was viewed in England and you had the opportunity to publish this book at any point in that span, I think you would almost choose the exact day that we brought the book out, you know, which was just the end point. We know when the work was complete, it was ready to go. But it just so happened that the appreciation, it was kind of like Paul Scholes' career in, in England, the appreciation that, that an English footballer or a British football audience had of Andrea Perlo had peaked in this latter stage of his career in Italy and it had combined with the sort of mini renaissance of the national team um, and the book was of course looking back to their last World Cup win as well I think he was growing old magnificently he was looking amazing you know the beard Much like was ourselves yeah. very yeah. similar in many ways <laughs> and the 2012 game that you had mentioned had, had probably put 40% on his profile in the UK I would say yeah yeah. the interesting bit for me was and it's probably backed up by the, the, the kind of vibe you got from Alessandro that night was that it didn't appear to have done massively well in Italy either even there it was seen as a kind of again did they still really know this guy um, it, it, it didn't seem to have flown off the shelves from memory yeah, I don't think I know too much. I, about I, I, don't, I don't really know that side of it at all. Actually, that's interesting. But, even, was, yeah. but even the reviews, I mean, as you mentioned right at the start, that like we've got a pack sent through. The, none of what we were talking about now came through from that. It was just very much, you know, this is you know the guy that we know that won the World Cup and Champions Leagues, and you know there was none of that. Oh, and by the way, he reveals many different layers to his personality. That none of that seemed to come through. So I don't know if it was just wasn't received in the same way, or or, or what that says about the about the market. I do remember when we initially got in touch with Mondadori the Italian publishers I remember them being staggered mm. that we were interested in bringing an English language edition out they were they were you know, they hadn't they hadn't sent it to, to market they weren't looking for customers no you'd gone to them yeah, yeah exactly yeah, exactly yeah. I mean I suppose one of the things that built the buzz for us and like was that we did a, a kind of neat piece of social media um, in the lead up to it we started this hashtag PLO Thursday so you still be able to find it and you'll get all the quotes from the book and we were pulling out these these little kind of choice quotes from the book Pirlo saying you know I, I spent I spent the day playing Playstation yeah. and then I went out and won the World Cup at night I mean literally that's a yeah. quote um, and there was like another 20 of those sprinkled throughout the book and you started doing that from quite a way before yeah. Yeah. publication yeah and it, and it was getting like massive tra- yeah. traffic on social media and I think you know thinking back doing the breadcrumb trail that's probably why we had this growing sense of excitement because totally. you know the UK audience was just right so the appetite yeah. Yeah. yeah 
we maybe just finished by talking a little bit about you know kind of post publication. I think the impact that it had was enormous. Um, it was a bit of a runaway train for us because I think we published five thousand copies initially, which was huge for us. Yeah, at the time. it was a good print run, and I think they sold out in like two or three days. Yeah. So so much so that Amazon actually got in touch with us directly because the book was at number one in the Amazon charts, one ahead of. Mary Berry. Mary Berry. Never mind Pure Love Thursday. So I was reminding the lads that my favourite uh, hashtag from that period was uh, Beard v Berry <laughs> as, we, as we tried to reclaim or position ourselves as number one ahead of said uh, Baker. It's but, an unlikely uh, rivalry. It is very, yeah. yeah, yeah. Exactly. Only one way to solve it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so basically Amazon's pitch to us was that they would fulfil the enormous demand for the book by by printing it themselves so they would just they would just churn out copies quicker than we could get them from our, our printers um, and they I mean we had a couple of phone calls with them and then they were phoning me like every hour on the hour for about 48 hours I've, I've told this I've told this story to a lot of people when I'm asked what, what I do and you know what publishing is and stuff and I have very vivid memories of that. I'm just glad that you were taking the bullets and not me Amazon. I mean, in retrospect, you have to you have to kind of admire them. Mm. They they had seen what was happening with the sales of the book. They had perhaps done some homework on us and realised that we were a small independent publisher who only had three or four titles um, underneath our belt at that point. And they decided that we couldn't cope with what was happening in terms of the huge nationwide demand for this book. And like you say, they machine gunned you. I mean, I remember being in the office with you, and the guy found you several times over the course of that one day. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't an automatic decision for us. You know, we had a couple of conversations, but we decided to to stand by. Well, it was it was a wait of. Can you remember? I'm going to say we had to wait about four or five days with no books in the warehouse. Yeah, I think it was it was something like that. I think like maybe seven or eight days maybe but I think by the time we'd made the decision not to go with Amazon and to, to we kept using this this phrase hold our nerve like and I remember you saying Neil that um, the people who want this book will still want the book in like six or seven days time you know they'll just they'll just wait for it and you know they'll get it then and then I think once we'd made that decision and you know I'd blocked Amazon's number <laughs> I think the pressure was off and we thought that's fine we, that you know this book, this this book is here to stay, yeah. and when the the copies hit the warehouse and hit the bookshelves, then people will buy it, and that's exactly what happened. And that's what's kind of continued to happen, you know, ever since. And this book has gone nowhere. It continues to be, if not our bestseller, then it's always amongst our bestsellers every single year. And yeah, long may it continue. Long may it continue. God bless the beard. Whatever happened to that Mary Berry? <laughs>